0: Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand Show, I'm your host Dave Homewood. This is the second episode for Vampire Month on the Wings Over New Zealand Show. In this episode I spoke with Dave Greenlees who was a member of the ground crew servicing the engines on vampires. I was very sad to learn only a few weeks after I did this interview that Dave passed away. But I'm very glad that I went to see him and managed to record his memories. Here's Dave.
1: Okay, well, my full name is David James Greenlees. I was born on the 5th of May, 1929. Uh, I joined the Air Force in the Interim Air Force in 1946, August 1946. Uh, I retired from the Air Force in after 23 years service. And joined in New Zealand, and flew with Air New Zealand for another uh, eleven years. Okay. Eleven or twelve years. Yes. And I took an early retirement at the age of fifty-three, and uh, uh, I've uh, I run my own little business until I was seventy odd, and I've retired and re- re- I've been retired since nineteen seventy-three.
0: Oh, right.
1: Okay, wow. That's a long time to be retired. <laughs> oh, well, I did other things, yeah. but, you know, as I say, I've retired. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I run a business in my garage and all that sort of thing. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Uh, so
0: where were you born and where did you grow? I was born
1: in Greymouth. Yes. Uh, my father was a uh, policeman. And my mother was, uh, he was from uh, Ireland, and my mother was born and raised in Guamare. So
0: did you see much of the Air Force during the war as you were growing up?
1: No. uh, I come from a broken family. My father and mother got divorced, and uh, I was living from onwards, from 11 years on, with aunties and uncles. And I was raised like that. And uh, at the age of 15, which was during the war, I had to leave uh, school to go and work and uh, I ended up over in Christchurch working for Axel and Electrical Company uh, during the the war. And uh, when the... uh, Air Force decided to reorganize uh, from a wartime to a peacetime Air Force. Nineteen forty-six, uh, they looked for new uh, members because most of the people had signed on for the war, and six months afterwards, and then they had trouble here because they wouldn't let the people go because they had to keep the things going. So they then uh, organised the, what they call the interim air force. And uh, it was my mother who saw an advertisement in the paper once about uh, uh, bonding people and she suggested it might be a good thing, seeing I was earning about 27 shillings and paying, you know, 17 something board, So it was pretty, pretty tough. And uh, so I, that's how I come to join the Air Force. Okay. And uh, I, I had no... Uh, when I worked for and they were uh, winding down from military uh, manufacturing and stuff like that, electronic, uh, or, not electronics, but um, electrical equipment and stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, that was my background when I joined and it. And apart from that, I didn't have a uh, a trade. Uh, so joining the Air Force gave me that ability to learn a trade, which I did. And, uh, and uh, I was on the number one, uh, number one, I'm just trying to make sure that I get it right, number one mechanics course, pre, uh, uh, X ward, that was number one, 19, 1947. Okay. And uh, I was on various stations from then on and uh, ended up, I did my fittest course. And uh, after my fitness course, I ended up in Tyree yeah. on the old Tiger Moth. And in that stage, this was in 1953 they called for volunteers to go on the coronation contingent. So I around, uh, and nobody seemed to be interested. I was only in yep. LAC at this time, LAC. Yep. And uh, anyhow, I got picked to go. So I ended up on the coronation contingent, And uh, uh, I w- went over at 53, and then and I come back, from then I come back to a heart here. And I was in the engine bay at the Harcourt as a corporal. And uh, I then, uh, at the end of 50, I think it was 54, I I got posted to Cyprus. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when uh, I went. And uh, uh, I was only there for... A few months when we got this notice that we would go, to go. So I had a few exciting things in Cyprus as a ground engineer, and uh, and we went from Cyprus to Singapore, and I spent a couple of years in Singapore. Okay.
0: Uh, Tell me about the exciting things in Cyprus.
1: Well, excitingly. We were under the command of the British, of course, and uh, although Nelson Bright, uh, Group Captain, uh, was was in charge, and uh, we did various things. But I was, I was in the engine bay. I was in charge of the engines as a corporal, and uh, uh, lots of things went on. It was still not not too long after the Second World War, you know, and uh, this things from funny things to strange things and things like that, but uh, uh, for, for instance, we had flying off Mo Moss, we used to call him, uh, I don't really know what his first name was, but uh, he, he was a very nice bloke and uh, we always had a lot to do with him. They'd come down and you know, we'd have to do an engine change and all this sort of thing. And I can remember and, and this was not in sequence, but it was just coming to my mind. But uh, he came down one day, and he wanted, we had to prepare an aeroplane for him, and uh, we are talking to him, and I, I said, well, we stood on like wildfire, you know. And uh, I said, what are you up to today? And he said, oh, well, and this is a, a memory, so you'd have to check with some pilots to make sure that the things are accurate. but. Uh, He said, oh, well, they were practicing dive bombing. And at that stage, I believe that the the vampire, they were uh, using 45 degree angle to drop their bombs. And I think accuracy was a bit, you know, (laughs) like that. And he had desired... uh, Thought about this deeply, and he decided he would want to try a steeper angle of uh, of attack. So he was going to go up, and I believe he tried 60 degrees. And he was a fairly big, solid bloke, uh, almost. And. because the vampires didn't have power controls or anything like that, you see, and you'd have to 60 degrees bank, and you go and fill these So anyhow, he, we fired him up, and away he went, and, uh, and he came back, and I had a bit of a talk to him as if, you know, after he landed, and I said, how'd he go? And he said, oh, I think it, it's more, it'd be more accurate at 60 degrees and blah, blah, blah. So that was all right, And he went, and then a rigger came in and he said, I think you better come and have a look at this. And and I said, Well, Tommy?" He? he said, Come on. So I went and went outside and he said, Look at those main planes. And both of the main planes were <laughs> like this and they were buckled at the joints. And it's a wonder he didn't pull the wings off this thing, did and it was a double main plane change. So, that didn't go down very, very well, especially with the riggers and things. had to do and and also spares were always short in the in the Middle East, you know. So that was that was one thing. Uh, and another thing that they used to have was a a glider that they used to tow behind a a. Um, a Mark 8 Meteor and they used to fly this thing as a, a gunnery target it was big and uh, you know well built and all this sort of thing but to land this thing of course it was behind a, a big rope and as they come over to land they had to judge the height of the the wheels on, on this uh, glider and uh, we had a what we used to call a waddy, which was only a dip before the uh, end of the strip and the market media of course the bloke had the angle of attack like as he couldn't see and it, I should imagine they would have been talking to the old controllers you know you're pretty thin, pretty, pretty thin. and uh, they used to, some of them used to come in very well But I remember watching the first one that i come in and the bloke landed the thing short hit the waddy and this thing just disintegrated he, well, it was made to fall to bits, you know, the wings fell off and all this sort of, and I thought, well, oh, that, that, that doesn't uh, <laughs> go down too well. <laughs> uh, the other c- couple of things that happened when I, before I arrived, but it was worth telling about, that they used to have a rocket reef, rocket uh detail every now and then you know 60 pound concrete rockets right and what they used to do they used to put the rocket rails on the aeroplane and then they had a, 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 a device they used to screw in the back of these things where the uh, the electronic the electrical firing um, wire went. To fire the things off but, but so they'd put this dummy w- one on, bloke could hop in the cockpit, press the button and the armourer would look at this and if he got a light whatever it was it meant the circuit was all right you see. So then they used to take that out and put the what they call the pigtail. They had a pigtail in which was the the actual wire you see? and then they wouldn't touch it and it was armed then, and things like that. And before this was, happened before I arrived, apparently they were doing this and the aeroplanes were parked looking at the Cyprus Airways uh, landing, uh, loading place, you know, to put passengers on. Well, anyhow, it got somebody blundered because they hopped in the cockpit to press the button <laughs> and somebody had put the pigtail on this rocket, and it, luckily, the, the Cyprus Airways used to have a—I uh, forget what airplane it used to have—had been and gone, and this rocket rock, went across the tarmac and demolished the, the toilet <laughs> <laughs> on the other side. You can imagine how, you know, so that was one thing. And the only other thing that I got told about that sort of made me laugh, and this is only purely on hearsay, that the controllers uh, at the airdrome were all uh, ex-wartime pilots. And they'd all flown spitfires and things like that. And, of course, when our people arrived, they're all young kids, 21-year-old, you know, flying this thing. And they were, they were called kerosene cowboys and all this sort of thing, you see. And there was always a bit of banter between the controllers that flying Spitfires and things like that. And it got to the stage where, well, real men fly Spitfires, only real men. And at that stage, uh, Thailand had bought well it was Siam and those days. they bought uh, a whole bunch of Spitfires and they were uh, ferrying them out from England and they, they did short hops, they went from Malta I think, they came come to, from Malta to us and then went to Lebanon and blah 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 and they used to come out in, in threes and uh, every time they come out you know the uh, controllers said, "Oh, you know, real men, real men fly Spitfires." And uh, so uh, the tail went, and it's only second-hand tail. But uh, they they uh, heard the um, the controller said, "Oh, we got some, another flight of Spitfires. Come out and listen to them. You know, see them. See real men fly Spitfires." So anyhow, they. They brought these things out, they duly arrived, and I think they said, asked somebody to do a bit of a beat up, it, but they said, well, we are a bit short of fuel or whatever it was. But anyhow, one did a, a low run and a wing over and wheels down, flaps down, <laughs> put it on the ground and landed, you see. And they all taxied up and they used to stay at our, our uh, area. So they parked it and uh, this last one come in because it was a bit behind the others and uh, they had walked up, the pilot got out, put the, the old parachute off, took helmet off, the long golden flag, flag, flag's hair come out, you see, and it was a, a woman. <laughs> well, you can imagine what the, the uh, talk was like in, in, the, uh, in the mess, you know, Oh, hello Bill, did you see that Spitfire's come in? Yes, yes, only real man fly Spitfire. <laughs> so that was the tale that was told to me. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it, it sounded like it because they were still coming through when we were there, you know, and uh, they ended up in, 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 in Thailand. Yeah. I, I can certainly
0: believe that because I've seen a photo of Jackie
1: Moggeridge who was yeah. one of the famous uh,
0: ladies Spitfire yeah. well, pilots. Yeah. There, she actually uh,
1: was delivering the Spitfires. Well, oh so she, she was Python was, it. was it?
0: and that was taken uh, in Cyprus by um
1: Oh so would be one the, of the pilots, yeah. Oh so it'd be a true tale. Yep. Yeah. That's embellished because it was only second hand as far as I concern, but it's, yeah, you know, there's it, <laughs> yeah. something that when you're talking about Cyprus, you know. Oh, yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Um with
0: it uh, I know that you were uh, the squadron was flying FB nine uh, Vampires. Yeah. Were they very different from the FB fives here? I know that they had air conditioning, but was there anything else? Uh,
1: well, really, down they were the early model there, that, uh, and uh, they used to have a, a, a slightly different uh, power. I think they were just over two two thousand pounds of thrust, and I think there was, uh, we're, I'm not sure. I think the T eleven had something like three thousand pounds of thrust, and uh, the Venom had five thousand pounds of thrust. But I've, I'm not sure now which model and make it worse. Yeah. It's, uh, they, uh, they were they were right, but uh, they, you know at least, But they were uh, reliable and things like that. We never had any any um, trouble with them. At, uh, you know, but in in Cyprus we were only really showing the flag it, it wasn't uh, you know uh, it was all practice and things like that they'd go down to Abbaswara and, and uh, with another squadron with the RAF and exercise down there but it was all exercise you know uh, no uh, real loading with guns and shooting people and dropping bombs or in the you know in, in earnest so that was it really
0: um Something that's recently surfaced is some photographs of the from slides
1: yeah.
0: uh, taken of there's a couple of slides of rows of the vampires there and I think it's really early on it might be before your time but they're really colourful they've got blue and red uh, tips on them and, and a stripe on the nose and they've got um, no they weren't ours they were they, you can see the numbers on them and they're actually well
1: that must have been for when the first got I, I'm not sure but I heard that, uh, and this is what is worth noticing, that uh, we had a very um, high respect for our servicing and things like that. And uh, I believe we used to have to fly 400 hours a month. That's total for all the aeroplanes. Uh, and uh, that's what we were allocated to do, for, as far as proficiency and things like that. And as far as I I know, in Cyprus we never ever went below four hundred hours. And in fact, when Max Hab was there uh, as the uh, commander, uh, if you got your four hundred hours up, you got the rest of the month off, like two days, you things like that, and then you. Over in Famagusta, they had a, a little um, rest and recuperation area where you used to you'd sail dinghies and swim and all this sort of thing. And they would load up a a, um, a truck with with food and uh, a few people on board. And, and, and that's when they used to go for the rest and recuperation. And it was well looked after. But when I got there, the... Uh, they had no stripes on there, uh, down the things and things like that, so they might have been uh, changed over. Yeah. yeah, they must have all got resprayed silver. Because I, I asked Maine the same thing, and yeah. he, he said no, no, they're all silver when he
0: was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So that must be early photos. Because well, they may
1: have been. I was told that we got new aeroplanes now. When we first there, they they may have just supplied. Sick hand airplane from from other uh, squadron, which they actually did when we went to uh, in, to Singapore, and uh, I should imagine the the ours would have been the new airplanes, the silver ones. Yeah, they totally got straight them. straight out of, out of the uh, uh, where they had them and you know in storage or something like that. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess you're
0: right. Um, I have also seen quite a few photos of, um, under the canopy, there'll be a nose art on them. Do you remember any of the nose art? No, arms? nose art weren't allowed. No. So that must be early on too, because yeah, yeah. Maine didn't remember it, but I've no. seen photos. There's one that had Mulu,
1: and there's several. No, no, that was strictly, they actually tried to do that in, in uh, Singapore. They, they started a one, got out and put it on and very quickly got told to take it off. Yeah. Yes, yes, we weren't allowed to have anything like that. Apart from the kiwi, yep. that was it. Yeah.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. What was your living conditions
1: like in Cyprus? Cyprus were good. I, being a corporal, I was in charge of a dormitory and it was uh, had all the Maoris in it. So that... Uh, <laughs> and, of course, the, uh, there was always a... Uh, uh a nice lot of entertainment in, in, in town and uh, every now and then there'd be a knock on the door and because we're just a straight barrack and I was the first bed inside the door and the door would open and there'd be a Cypriot taxi driver <laughs> and they always used to come in with apple lights he knew we we're all shake the uh, corporal corporal used to I have one of your men in the taxi, <laughs> so it would be my job to get out of bed and go and help <laughs> one of my men in, in to, and, and put them to bed. So that, that was my, my job in, in there. But apart from that, good, the, uh, the only thing that was, uh, was not up to our standard was uh, the food. The, it, the food was supplied by the British Army and it was always this pom potato Kippers. <laughs> and I can always remember it was a an armourer, uh, Bob L- Lane, I think it was Bob Lane, I can't quite remember. Anyhow, we were sitting down having lunch and the orderly officer came round and he said Orderly officer, any complaints? This was an RAF like you see. So Bob had this palm potato <laughs> over on, on his plate, and he st- stood up with his plate like that, and he turned it over, and the potato didn't fall off, you <laughs> see. And this orderly officer, you know, a young 21-year-old, you know, pirate officer or something like that, he said, huh? well, I can't do anything about that, he said. And walked away. So we used to get him go over in line, get our kippers, and uh, pom potato, walk along the line, tip them out, and then go over to the nappy. And and by our, uh, you could get baked beans and you know stuff like that. And, and that's sort of the way we used to have the, the the food. But the food was edible, but. It was what they had in storage, and that's what the British Army had, wherever you know. And uh, of course, 90% of the personnel were British, so it was they liked kippers and stuff. <laughs> but apart from that, it was good, everything was good. Yeah. The other things were, of course, the toilets, and uh, all they had were pits with lime in them. And uh, you used to sit on this toilet. And your eyes would water because of the lime. And that's all they had. And then every so often they used to empty these things out, which was a good time not to be on the camp. <laughs> because of the odour and things like that. It was dreadful. They used to get down there with a shovel. And, you know. So that's why we good apart from having but It was good. But was it really um, quite hot
0: there in the summer?
1: Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, we... Used to uh, start early and knock off at one o'clock, and uh, we used to have a siesta. Used to go and put your feet up and have a bit of a, a doze off. Uh, yeah. uh, but everybody could, you know. Greeks and everybody. So uh, that's the way it went. You know. uh, so did that affect the flying? Would, would that mean that it'd be too hot for to data? Oh no, you could fly any time. Uh, and this, what they did when they did uh, go on exercises, you know, they'd go to Malta, and they went on um, the uh, the Queen got married, they went down to Nigeria and things like that. But that was I was on in England at that stage, and the uh, contingent with that, uh, and then the the uh, Swagon went uh, down south and showed the flag and all that sort of thing. So how did you guys feel when you were told that you were going to Singapore? Well, it didn't worry us. So the thing was, the people who were there in, in Slopers in the first contingent, uh, when their time came up to go back, they had the opportunity of going through to England or Germany, somewhere, you know, and then come back it's like that. But uh, we were looking forward to doing something like that. And when we got the news that we are going to Singapore, well, that all kibosh, but at that stage I was married and all the sort of thing. So we had to go with the squadron did yeah. Did you find Singapore uh,
0: a better place to live or a worse place to live? For?
1: Oh, well, of course it was, at that stage, of course, uh, we had the communist terrorists there. And it was under, Uh, A wartime types of condition. We went there from being, you know, showing the flag and all that sort of thing, which we did even in in Singapore, to dropping bombs and shooting people and practicing war. You know, and uh, uh, it was totally different. Totally different.
0: Um,
1: You mentioned earlier
0: that in Cyprus it was difficult to get spare parts. Was that this
1: still the case when you got to Singapore? Or was yes, that... well, if, if, if we go now, we go to Singapore, i will start off with how we are concerned. When we were told that we're going to Singapore, uh, we said, well, what are we doing with aeroplanes? And they said, oh, they will be supplied when we get there. Well, actually, what had happened is that the RAF were very short of aeroplanes, and of course in those days used to uh, the venoms i believe were made primarily for nato and they only were made initially for germany and then they were shifted out and when they were replaced by other things and shifted out and these things got over slowly over and over and they stopped making them years ago and or not years ago but they were old airplanes and they were all shifted out you know so they went. Apparently, they went to the squadrons that were. There was only, I think, three squadrons in Singapore that had. Then, at that stage, the 60 Squadron, 45 Squadron. I can't remember what the other one. was, but, but they went there to, and they said, "Right, we want three airplanes or you, three airplanes or you, three airplanes or you, and a couple of T11s and all this sort of thing." So, they uh, everybody moaned because they had to give the airplanes away, but. It was a great time, of course, to look at your squadron and saying, these things, we're having a lot of trouble with these things and let's give them to the Kiwis, <laughs> which they did. So when I arrived there, uh, they were still, they just got them as a bunch. And, of course, they were uh, all rubbish. We went through the put them through the hangar just to check them over and things like that. And I think uh, one of them was Cat 5, what they call Cat 5, which means they wrote, wrote this thing off. It didn't even fly. It. And other things, they had to work on them and work on them and work on them. And uh, they finally got onto the squadron, but then they would something would go wrong and, and the RAF would say, oh, well, yeah, they, we don't have any problems and blah, blah, blah. So anyhow... One of these ones that that, uh, uh, we had trouble with, the pilots used to complain that this thing used to wiggle its wings, but the RAF said, because they had the tip tanks on them, and of course the vampires didn't have tip tanks, they said, oh, well, they do. These tip tanks make them work, but but this thing really wiggles its wings, you know. So anyhow, uh, this we heard about this soon, and uh, I was only in the in the, in the hangar, taking changing the engines and things like that. So anyhow, the, uh, the flight attendant come down once, and he said to me, he said, oh, there's a bloke coming over from Salita to fly this one that wiggles its wings, which we've been telling them about. In fact, it got that bad, we used to fly it without the tip tanks on it. Uh, this is simply because in those days you had to have an air, air, have air, and a certain number of aeroplanes ready to go against uh, drop bombs on the old CTs. So Earlier, I put an uh, an engine that we got this aeroplane all ready and uh, a, a pilot flew a, a meteor over from Salita, I think it was, hopped out. I had the 700 on the wing and he he just walked up and didn't do a pre check or anything like that, signed the 700, gave him a start, and away he went. Half an hour or so later, he came back, 700, that's all he said to me, 700. I opened it up, he wrote, Rogue Aircraft. And he was a flight lieutenant, flight lieutenant, uh, pilot, test pilot, whatever it was. So that was all right pushed the aeroplane into the hangar. Next day, the flight attendant come along and he said, I yanked the engine out of that. So we, I took the engine out, we had the aeroplane sitting in the, in the hangar. And a, uh, a little 1500 weight uh, vehicle arrived with about four uh, RAF people on it. They took out some axes and chopped the wings off this thing and towed it away to the dump. Now, to us, because we'd, we'd spent days on this, I had uh, taken the engine out and the riggers had gone over and they checked the rigging and they couldn't find anything wrong with it. There was nothing wrong with it mechanically, but it floated. But it, when we saw this, they actually had axes and they chopped the wings off it and then towed it, towed it around and then we had to dump and they just left it in the dump and then the, the next day half the stuff. Appeared in in change alley for sale, and uh, uh, but we, you know, to us, we thought, oh, we could have fixed it. We could have fixed it. Yeah. So that was that was one thing, but we could never get enough airplanes serviceable. When we used to do, I think it was a you know, primary star uh, every fortnight. And as soon as you took the cows off these things, there was, we'd find something wrong with it. And then we couldn't get uh, spares rapidly. They'd have to come from somewhere and things like that. And I think I told Mayne Hawkins once, when, because he used to live out uh, with the same areas as us and we used to have shared transport. I think we had a, ca- a canopy, to, to, uh, crack or something and trying to get another one I think we grounded an aeroplane for a week or whatever it was so it got to that stage that uh, we couldn't do uh, uh, these things so uh, it uh, got to the stage where we were looked upon that our servicing there must be something wrong because the RAF used to get sixty squadron when they were on standby, used to do it for a week, they would get all the airplanes and fly whatever it was. Us we'd even have to ask them to do our work sometimes because we didn't have enough aeroplanes to uh, to do the job. And because every every morning you'd had to go to the commander-in-chief, how many airplanes we've got ready and and things like that, actually. So uh, 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 at this stage I was running the 700 room and uh, 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 they come over and said, well, I actually put a, a little thing forward. Suggestion forward to see how we could improve the uh, reliability of the aeroplane and start earlier and you know do all those things and work later. And, but anyhow, so they must have looked at that because they said, Oh, there's a bloke coming over from Salita to see why we're not getting getting out. Of so they sent this flight lieutenant over and uh, he was an, a, a method man, you know. We gave He shared my office with him, and we brought another bloke in to help him because he sat down there. And this is the early times of looking at, uh, I, I, before computers and things like it, but he used to write down the, the time the aeroplane took off, time the aeroplane landed, time the aeroplane was on the ground, and all that sort of thing. And he stayed there for, oh, it must have been a I I can't, I can't remember now, but like a couple of months, I think it was, to get a for a thing, and then he said, "Oh well, I've got enough stuff," and, and away he went. And anyhow, he, he came back, and we were all this bit excited. There, uh, you know, what, what have you found out? Because we were working our guts out to uh, was uh, to, to try and do what what was required, because we had such a good name from Cyprus. And we were we were very good mechanics. You know, all our people are well trained, so there's no problem with training. But they'd find something like a burner you know, a hose or something like that, and you couldn't get one for you know a week or something like that. The airplanes stay on the ground. So he came back and he said, "Yes, we found out what's wrong." And we said, "Well, what's wrong?" He said, "You over-servicing your airplanes." And we said, "What?" We're working our tails off here and we can't get them serviced. And he said, Oh no, you're over servicing, blah, 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 you see. So we're going to put the servicing spaces from uh, every fortnight to every month. And we weren't going to service these things for a month, (laughs) you see. And we thought, They're all going to fall out of the sky. (laughs) But after that, we never had trouble. We started getting our things. So it got to the stage, of course, that we ended up with all our airplanes serviceable. And this was taken when they had them all and they all had them fired up at the same time. And that's the first time that the uh, uh, our squadron had all our airplanes serviceable. Wow! Brilliant. So, anyhow, a little tale to tell there. You can see this is where we used to line up their airplanes. You know, Stanton, and then we'd take them. The and anyhow, it, before this happened, we had our aeroplanes there, and and we couldn't make our uh, uh, numbers for that month or something like that. And anyhow, 60 Squadron had a stand-in for us, and they used to get a bit gritty about this because of weekends and all that sort of thing. And anyhow, we saw these aeroplanes fire up at 60 Squadron because you get called out for an operation. You know, they said, oh, you know, that go, drop bombs, (laughs) So they come out and they taxied behind our airplanes. And right behind the tails of them. Went to the end of the thing and then came back like this, past our squadron headquarters and things like it. And they dropped their flaps and all the toilet rolls. The <laughs> toilet rolls fell fell, fell out. And of course, you know what they wind and things, things like that. <laughs> what could we say? <laughs> you know? So that was one, one thing. And and from from then on, uh, this uh, this is after that. Of course, this here is after that when we got them all serviceable. But that's what famous about that, that that they all lined up because cartridge starters... They all had to go at the right time and things like that. So that's a little bit about that. That's why that's famous, you so, know. Did you ever have any trouble with the cartridge starters? Uh, well, we had uh, two cartridges, and you'd fire one up, and it, it would fire, and if the, the engine didn't start, of course, you had to take the cartridge out. And uh, but they used to. Uh, uh, Drop bits in the, in the starter itself, little bits, and you had the the RAF gave you a, a tool which was for uh, refueling and things like. It was only a handle with a, a, like a big screwdriver on the end of it. You used to have to open this and <laughs> give it a scrape out and put the other ones back on. But uh, the the, the starter themselves had no problem. but. Uh, uh, they used to work pretty good, but they, uh, there was a requirement, of course, that they had to, uh, I think, start within 30 seconds or something like this. This was a Makis saw a of NATO requirement. And, uh, Did you ever get to fly over there? Did you go up in the T-11? Yeah, I went up with the T-11. Uh, there's another tale. I hope I'm not boring you here no. at all. Like when I was uh, uh, running, this when I was in charge of the old uh, 700 rim, There was a, a pilot over there come in, new new bloke, and of course to check out a uh, uh, bloke to fly in, and they took him up in the T11, and uh, you know, and then. Uh, uh, t- checked him out like that and said, well, yes, you can do that. So go and do some circuits. Now Changi, in my recollection, was it was quite a short strip. And it was, I believe it was built by the Japanese. And uh, what it was, uh, say this is a strip here. It, the strip used to go along and then go up like this. And under here, at the end of the strip, was the Bukatema Road. That's the main road, and that's why the strip had to go up, because the road went underneath it. At the end of the strip here was some rubber trees and some huts, uh, workers' huts and things like that. So I, uh, uh, this gentleman fired up the, his and away he went, and uh, I stood outside uh, my, uh, my, uh, my uh, uh, office, and watch the watch has seen, do some circuits. So we, anyhow, uh, he Julie uh, really went and the and four come down. He did a circuit and ended it an overshoot, and, and then uh, another one on uh, uh, just watching. The, and he actually landed this one a bit long, but he wasn't, uh, and he was going to stop. That's right trying to stop but he realized of course that the <laughs> the strip was a bit shorter and uh, he went to go around and he, of course the old ghost and the engine used to uh, take a bit of a, a while to accelerate so he banged this thing open and you can they used to uh, resonate a bit when they go over and I thought he's not going to make this. Because the time the ghost winds up, you see, and then of course he realised he wasn't going to make it, and he and of course he tried to overshoot, and he disappeared at, over the end of the strip where the, the Booker Tima Road like this into the rubber trees. Well, we, we all I saw was him go over the edge of the strip, woof, big black smoke, and I thought, oh God. And someone would stand beside me and we said, oh, anyhow, that was off station, of course. So the time they crashed Tender, was, which was parked here, fired up, went around, had to go out, down the thing, the station, out the, onto the main road, down down the main road to find out where this aeroplane was, you know, to dig this poor gentleman out of his, his aeroplane. Well they got there and they had to get them amongst the rubber trees and they got to this with the wreck and there was nobody in it. <laughs> you see? <laughs> well of course they looked around, you know, what do you do? You know, but of course they were in in a bang seat and all this sort of thing, you know, you just don't you'd <laughs> be around somewhere. Yes. Well, apparently he'd landed and I had a great photo of this. And he was unhurt, he got out of this aeroplane, saw these huts, went over to the huts, because the aeroplane was up on smoke, and got the people out and said, come on, get out, You'll get a, you might get you know, in trouble here, and things like that. And that's how they found him, you see, which was a, which was a great thing. And uh, they brought him back and they get checked with the medical, that afternoon he was flying again, and uh, uh, it was good ever since. And that's the bloke that I flew with on the T11. <laughs> yeah. So he took me up one day, and uh, uh, we were doing pairs of interceptions. And that was uh, <laughs> even when we were flying. He's, the a pairs of interception? That was a, practicing for a radar interception. You know. We, We'd stoke up and down to fly up and down, and the the locals would be on the old radar, and they would vector a couple of venoms onto you, and you weren't supposed to know where these were coming. You see, so we were doing up and down this, and uh, Ferguson was in this bloke name, Ron Ferguson, and uh, uh, he said, "Look over your shoulder," and uh, because he turned on the uh, old. uh, radio the frequency which they were on which was spo- not supposed to do you're supposed to be the japanese or whatever it is an enemy and uh, he said tell me when you can see them and so i had like this and out of the sun come these two venoms from you know 30, feet to do a, 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 a an attack and uh, i said here well i can see coming down he said all right and he's and these come down in a, a line of a stern like that and passing manoeuvre, pulling a lot of G, of course. So, old Fergie just pushed the stick over a little bit, which put us in a, a, an inside, you know, a turn against theirs, their sweep down to us. And, of course, as we turned around slowly, these people started to pull more G, more G, more G, G, until they flipped out. And all that come over the radio were, Bastard! (laughs) Because they they flip out and they take it with yeah. So that's why I remember one. And he actually went on to become, he flew the, um, uh, what was it, the uh, aeroplane that used to do all the, Civil Aviation Aeroplane that used to do all the uh, uh, checks on, on uh, flying in and out of, you know. All Calibration. All that. yeah, off, yeah. Calibration, that's the man, yeah, yeah. So, hell, hell of a nice guy, hell of a nice guy. Yeah. How many people did you have in your team, just
0: in your um, section?
1: No, well, I was in charge. You know, I eventually ended up as a sergeant in there, but I, I used to run it. it was so you say run it. That, uh, uh, you know, pilots always come in, sign the seven hundred, check the seven hundred, have a talk about the serviceability, uh, detail somebody to go and start the aeroplane, and all that sort of thing. But uh, I was the only, 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 one in in there, and uh, and. Uh, and they, when they used to have the gunnery exercise, it used to be a madhouse, and if I can tell you a little tale about this, the people that they used to send a Mark Eight Meteor over from Salita to do the uh, either to tow a drogue when they do it, or uh, do the uh, the interceptions when. They used to fly up and down, you know, and they used to take the people on them. bit like a now the bloke who used to come over uh, was a, uh, a Czechoslovakian who'd been a fighter pilot during the, during the Second World War, and he was the most I don't know nice bloke, but I think they called it, couldn't tell us, you know, so he'd come in and uh, and so, uh oh, yes, 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 uh, I want the airplane refueled and things like that, and I said, okay, you know, we used to get it refueled, and I oh, was 700, you know, uh, uh, 700 over in Saliba, and I said, you got to have a traveling 700 every time you leave the thing because I've got to record everything, you know, refueling and anything. As as, oh, yeah, 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 well, next time, next time. So then we'd get him to, we get him away. And so this used to go on regularly and eventually I said, well, I've got to have a 700, you know, because I'm not recording anything. And so... Anyhow, he came come to stay and he came come in, Ah, oh, he said, there's 700. And I looked at it and it was a brand new 700, <laughs> which I had a cupboard full, full of. <laughs> so I had to explain to him, you know, what it but... was. Anyhow, one, one day he came over and uh, they had, uh, were having a, uh, a gunnery exercise, I think it was. And he said, I am staying the night. And, uh, and they had the 700, and I said, well, that's fine, you see. So, in those days we used to have to do what we call locks, box and chocks. We used to put canopy cover and lock the, the uh, aerolines and things like that with their locks, and you know, you know all about those. So every night because of the rain and the heat and all that. So anyhow, we were t- tidying up there, and I said, uh, who's looking after the uh, the meteor? And nobody was been uh, told. I said to one of the men, I said, yeah, "Go and put some covers and locks on on this meteor, if you can." You see, so they they threw one of their canopy covers over it and put some of the oil locks on in it and. Uh, he, the Blake come back and he said, well, I'll put a cover over it, he said, but those locks don't fit very well, but they, they were all right, you know, but there's movement, there's oh, so "Well, that's the best we can do. So anyhow, next morning, of course, gunnery, place, all the pilots going and sign this, because they all wanted to get on, you know, in time and not be late and all this sort of thing, so I'm gone on here and I'm signing out and telling him, yeah, you start in, get him going, get it going. So they all went. And I said, Where's the pilot with the the meteor? And someone said, Oh, he's just started up. You see, so he'd walked down apparently, pulled the cover oh, saw the cover on this, pulled the cover off, and uh, saw an airman give us a start to get it uh, back in start, you see, instead of so the airman, we were, one of the boys started him up, and away he went, and he fired up, and away he went. And by this time, I'm chomping at the bits, you know. Anyhow, cut a long story short, I'm standing outside. By this time, all our guys are gone to get up in there ready for him. And this meteor coming around. And away, went, you see. And uh, this, this around, see? around and did a slow circuit. Uh, landed, taxed it in again. I thought, oh, it's gone the US, you know. This will throw in the he leant out of the cockpit and got one of the airmen to come on. Take out the locks. <laughs> 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 he done a whole circuit. Luckily, there were venom locks, of course, and it allowed the old aerolongs to move a little bit. But he hadn't even done a, a control check before it took off. All you had to do was do that, you know. But uh, apparently he used to read a book. Because <laughs> <laughs> when, you know, these... Uh, Things they had to fly up and down, and it was boring, you know. And uh, he had all full fuel, and he could stay up for two hours or three hours, whatever. Yeah, take out the locks. So when I heard about this, I thought, "Oh, there's going to be strife here." It was never mentioned. Never. He never reported it. Wow!
0: He's a bloody lucky man. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. So. That was that was one of the things that uh, that we did have we did have problems. We uh, we lost a uh, lost a venom. The venom was slightly different from the vampire. That if you had to uh, fix a fuel problem on a vampire, you had to drain all the, all the fuel out. You know, and that was time. T- with the Venoms, they, uh, they had a, an isolation switch that you, it was a little panel underneath the main plane on whichever one you want to drain, and or not drain, and you could actually pull this little panel down and then pull, this had a little rod on it, and you pulled it down and that isolated that wing, so it meant you didn't have to drain all the fuel out of the tip tanks and all that sort of thing you see? so uh, uh, that's uh, then, uh, then uh, you fix whatever you fix and then put this thing up and just screwed it back on again uh, now a pilot got out one day hopped in his airplane and away he flew and uh, uh, after a while his engine stopped and he had to land this thing in the, in the, in the water and, Anyhow, they dragged this thing up and they actually found that this had been isolated for maintenance and hadn't been screwed up, you see. And we thought, now, we didn't find this out until they'd pulled the the engine up and, you know, weeks went by. And uh, nobody was, I thought, well, you know, the 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 rigger would be. Or whoever was responsible would be for it was never mentioned. Okay. And of course then the pilot had to do a pre-flight. And if he didn't done a pre-flight he would have found us, so that wasn't mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> so that was another thing. Uh, we had at t 11s we had a, a bit of trouble with and I think it was an electrical trouble. And the only way you could fly this thing, if you took a, an electrician with you, I think he worked one of the switches, whatever it was, I don't know. But they used to do this. So one day they landed one of these things, a bit short, and took the whole front end out of it. And I had, because he had the photograph, and I, I gave it to Barry Gordon. Uh, and in one of our meetings down here, just before he, he, he passed away, and they told it But it was, uh, I think it was, uh, uh, flying up to the Dudding, I think they used to call wrong, Dudding. That, you know, I, uh, uh, you'd have to really check on this. But uh, they just undered their straps and walked away from it. Like that. Yeah, yes. And then, then just, the whole front end just gone. And we had another T 11 flying with a, a uh, uh, I think it was an electrician on board, that the, the engine stopped. And they landed this thing and walked it. And uh, it was, uh, both got out of it and they were told it was all the all this thing. And uh, the pilot, I forget his name, well, we all know, lad, uh, he, he, he said to the uh, bloke that was with him, he said, oh, well, you know, we're going to have to land on the water, he said, but these things are pretty good at water. No panic at all, like let's bail out or something like that, you know, and they landed at sea and they both got out. But the, the, the most funny thing in one way that uh, happened when we were there, there was a bloke called Bacon Powell, and uh, he was flying... Uh, on an early morning bombing road, two 500 pounders on either side. And they uh, he, he dived down to drop his bomb and only one fell off. And, uh, and then they wiggle it and things like this. And they've crutched up sometimes too. When I say crutched up, when they put them on, they uh, adjust them so they they, they're just tight enough so that was right and at this stage I think it was Pyleber had just opened up a new strip and uh, uh, they're very proud of this of course and things like that so anyhow Baden tried to get this thing off and uh, of course he's running out of gas so he thought oh, so he, uh, uh, he, he called up the nearest land at the nearest airport. That's the first thing doing, you do. see. So he, he went something like this. Uh, but this is uh, Kiwi 03. Uh, uh, I have an emergency request to land at your airstrip. And uh, back come to an English voice, Roger, Roger, you're, uh, you're clear of the land. Uh, we've got all the, the latest equipment, bye, 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 uh, state your emergency. And Don uh, Baden said, well, I've got a 500-pound bomb on the left wing uh, that uh, may fall off when I land. Because, you know, he had to think now, I've got left wing down a bit, I'll have to increase my speed, landing speed, and things like that. And, you know, and he had to think of all these things. And I'm running out of gas and blah, blah, blah. And he, he said, it may fall off, but, uh, it, you know, and a very English voice apparently came back, can't you go somewhere else? <laughs> <laughs> this is what it was told to be, the way it filtered out. They weren't keen at him land, landing at this brand new airport. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> all these things that, uh, that uh, Trevor Bland uh, <laughs> landed once with both his wheels hadn't <laughs> <laughs> hadn't released his brakes burst both tyres and they're stuck at the end of the strip and uh, they, uh, of course you're supposed to have a jack to jack these things up and then so, so being Kiwis of course that's no problem for us to send a, a whole lot of blokes out Get under the wind, lift it up, change the the wheel, drop it down, do the other one and taxi it on again. <laughs> but the worst thing that happened there, the strip was like that and 60 Squadron was over that side, we were over this side. And you had a road that you could actually go across the strip to, to uh, get to you know billet and all that sort of thing. And, They had ways. You had to check with the old tower and things like that. And they had night flying this this time. I don't know whether you heard this one, but uh, they used to have a an electrician on on standby in case any of the lights went out and things like that. So they uh, this night they uh, they had this electrician on. And uh, uh, they used to have a, a, a Land Rover, and uh, he had one of his coppers come down and they used to just sit with him in, in case they were called, you see. So apparently, one of the lights did go out, and they got a call from the town. and they said, Oh, light on number three light on, on this southern strip is out. Uh, You're cleared to go on this to check this after the next aircraft go. You see. Now it was a very narrow strip, and what they forgot to tell them that uh, we're taking off in pairs. You see, so this bloke drove his his uh, Land Rover up with his cover up to the edge of the strip, waiting for these aeroplanes to go past, and. Uh, Sure enough, the aeroplanes went past the right, and the right-hand bloke said, I've hit something, I've hit something. You see, and they, they stopped and skidded and all that sort of thing. And what he did, of course, he was, his wing was overhanging the edge of the strip and took the top of the Land Rover like off and took the hedge off both these Right, so that was, that was another thing that, uh, you know, that happened there. So all these things happened, and, uh, they never advertised or anything like that. You know, but, uh, it's a sad, sad thing. Mm. Yeah, gosh. Were you,
0: were you there when the? You must have been there when they first painted the kiwis on the tails. They, they went from the red and white checkers to the. Uh,
1: oh, yes. Well, I was. I never took really much notice of that. You know, it wasn't a big thing. If it if it was, they painted it on. They painted it on, and I can't. But they used to do all these sorts of things. I remember the uh, uh, they used to have the old freighters in Changi, and, Chang and, and they, they'd come over, and, and of course always fierce rivalry. And while they were there, a stencil would go on, <laughs> and the squadron leader would jump up and. <laughs> Things like this, so uh, yeah, I, I can't remember to be quite honest. If, if, if it was done, it was done, and you know, I was busy doing other things. Yeah, yeah, things like that. Uh. So, how long were you away for? Uh, I came back in nineteen fifty-seven. Okay. So, yeah, so it's about a year and a half. Oh, yeah. Well, just uh, oh, over two, two years. Two years. Uh, yes, 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 uh, Because. I was married, as I could stay there for, uh, you know, and uh, uh, I came back in normal rotation. But... Uh, so when you got back
0: to New Zealand, where were you posted that? Uh,
1: I was, um, came back and I went to Wigram and uh, I was, I'd always wanted to fly. At, uh at that stage of course I'd left school when I was 15 and they looked at uh, i th- I thought I was turned down but uh, i uh, uh, i i didn't tell you why but uh, you know he just didn't make it so that was all right and then when I came back i heard that they wanted to uh, have some flight engineers and at this stage I was a uh, Senior sergeant, and I was running uh, night flying in, uh, in Wigram, you know, and uh, uh, so I actually put my name in to become a flight engineer, and uh, anyhow, they put me through the uh, you know, the, the tests and things like that, and they said, uh, "Oh yes, yes, uh, it's not your education because uh, they reckon I should have, you know." The, because of the, the uh, 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 they said, well, you, sh- you should have kept replying for be a pilot, you know, you're good enough to be one sort of thing. Uh, but it's not the education, that your nose. I used to box as a kid and I'd broken my nose and I had a, what they call a deflected septum. And at those stages, of course, they wouldn't take you. They would put pressurised aeroplanes and things like that. That uh, so they put me in hospital and they fixed my nose for me, which I was... Gratified for. And uh, then I uh, got on to uh, uh, flight engineer's course and ended up flying in Sunderland. And from then on, uh, I went to the States while well, I was on the DC-6, and then I went to the States on the C-130. Oh, that's yeah. the uh, to collect the C-130s. Okay. And then I uh, uh, I was coming up to 40 years of age and uh, I was, uh, uh, one of my cobbers rang me up one day, when I used to be in charge of the flight engineers at that stage, of the staff officers, and uh, uh, rang me up and said, we're looking for some flight engineers, and uh, said, was there anybody interested, you see, and I said, what about me? And they said, because uh, he was, Don was the next sunderland uh, and as you know, and uh, uh, so he put my name forward and I eventually ended up flying for New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, flew with him for the next 13 years, whatever it was. Right. So what types of New Zealand were you flying? Uh, well, I, I flew on the Electra, the DC-8, the DC-10 and the Seven, and I took early retirement when they came up in the new... CEO coming and looking to retire people, and because uh, we were a senior men, and uh, I was 53 at that stage, and they had to retire at 55, anyhow. So I was done. I was, the, I was at, uh, in, in Los Angeles doing it. I posted there, I had my wife up there, and uh, used to fly over and back and fly over and back and fly over, but it was a bit of a killer thing, you know. So I decided that I'd have enough at that state, I'd been fine you know, in 23
0: years. Just a question here that's an aside, but if you're a flight engineer and you got to 55 and they tell you you've got to retire from flying, yeah, could you revert back to being a ground engineer and carrying on?
1: Uh, well, I uh, I could have, but I uh, it would mean I'd have to sit uh, sip, uh tests and oh, things yeah. like that. Tickets, because I said in, yeah. in the airport you don't have the civil tickets and things like that. to see, so uh, yeah. Yeah. but I oh, know at that stage uh, I'd, uh, as I say, I'd been flying for all those years and yeah. you know and knocking around with aeroplanes and you know all that sort of thing. So uh, I decided that I might try something else. <laughs> <That's correct.
0: laughs> So, uh, what are you, what are your memories of the Sunderland? Do you have any
1: good adventures in that? Oh yes, 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 yes. The uh, uh, all sorts of things, you know. But it it was supposed to be, you know, you were trained. It was totally different. It was a wartime aeroplane, mm. and uh, the, as a flight engineer, the very first thing you, you learned. Uh, all about uh, gunnery and, and bo- dropping bombs and sign of boys and, and things like that. And you had to, you got categorised on the, um, the guns, you know, the .5s and the turret guns and loading bombs and all that sort of thing. Uh, they, they were a good old aeroplane. Uh, typical wartime thing, everything was hand-cranked. You t- t- turned the gills open to the you know, you, you stood stood in the Astro hatch on takeoffs and you, uh, saying uh, you used to have booster pumps up there, hand booster pumps. And your job, if the engine stopped, of course, was <laughs> standing. You weren't strapped anywhere. You were just standing, looking at the, uh, clear ahead, uh, standing by the booster pumps, which were one of the things. And, but, uh, they were they were good. We used to. Uh, I never ever never ever shut an engine down. And I was there for th- over three years on them. And uh, yes, yeah, they yeah, yeah, yeah. used to go. And uh, the uh, the only trouble was that the salt water used to get out the uh, the fins and things like that. And you'd send there because the same engines as the old DC3 and uh, NAC used to do all the overhauls on them and. Uh, uh, as I say, I never had any Take them off, you'd see water going into the gills and things like this. And the boost used to go like this as the water went through. through Everyone standing. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was a bit different when you got on the DC Six. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: so tell me about the DC Six. What, what was that like? To you?
1: Well, after coming off the Sunderland, of course, um, it, it was a magnificent thing because uh, uh, the flight engineer, of course, only sat between the pilots, and uh, he uh, you know, held the throttle full throttles and things like that, and uh, we had a. Uh, uh, spark plug analyzer beside you, which nobody could understand. <laughs> you, you could select a, 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 a plug on, say, number two engine and see what the front plug is doing on the rear plug, but nobody worried about it. But, hey, uh, it was a good, reliable aeroplane, but, uh, but they were old aeroplanes, but they were good, reliable aeroplanes, you know. And uh, uh, we used to uh, take the troops up uh, to Malaya and things like that on them and, and fly VIPs around them. And when we went to, fly uh, the uh, C-130s and the Orions and the, and the, uh, uh, the choppers, uh, we'd, uh, I was on the crew that went there and we were a taxi, <laughs> they'd ring us up. We were based at uh, Andrews Air Force Base and uh, they'd us up and say, we've got to go to Lockheed, Georgia. And so we fly them to Lockheed, Georgia or whatever, and then we have to go somewhere else and we fly them there. And uh, so that was a good trip. But the one thing that we learned very quickly, we were never briefed on these things, and uh, Andrew's Air Force Base is where they have the, uh, the President's uh, airplanes. And anyhow, our aeroplane come up for a, a check a um, certain house, whatever it was, and they informed us. And the, the Americans, of course, they had still had a few of these floating around. They called them DC-4s or whatever they were. DC-6. No, DC-4s. However, it didn't matter. But anyhow, to cut a long story short, they they did a, uh, a service for us, and uh, they left Bill Lang, who was the other flight engineer, and myself. Were on it. We used to go to go down there and, and see what they were doing. We had to ch- they had to change a en- uh, cylinder for us and various other things. So to get down there, it's a, it's a monstrous big place, of course. And if you wanted to go from your barracks down to this place, you just picked up the phone, tell them who you were wanted to go to service by or something like that. Okay, sir, sure, I will be in you know, a minute. The truck would drive and you hop in and they take you down. So anyhow, this day we went down and uh, uh, we, we did whatever we wanted to do. We, we, tried, we had to run the engines up to check. So we decided how are we going to get back? well, Let's walk back. So anyhow, we had... Place is big, and uh, the are aeroplanes over there. And uh, Bill and I are walking back. Truck pulled up beside us. Where are you guys going? You know, oh, we're just coming back. We've gone up to the barrage And they said, "See that red line there on the tarmac?" Yeah. He said. See that guy sitting over at the President's aeroplane with the gun? We said, yeah. He said, if you step over that line, that guy can shoot you. (laughs) He very quickly went to the right and hopped in the back of this truck. (laughs) Yeah, well, nobody briefed us. Nobody briefed us. You see? So uh, these things... are. You've got to be a little bit wary of, and uh, we went out one night. One of the uh, 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 people that we met said, oh, we'll take you into town. So uh, we hopped in this car. He was a, an officer and went up to the gate, but there's no gate there. There's a gate house, but there's no, thing, or there's just a white line, you see. So this bloke stopped. The seaman come out with his 45 on his thing sluted, looked at the, 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 uh, the um, thing on, on the uh, the car uh, obviously had a, um, a, a what's name on there that you, meant that you could come in and out of the gate you know, looked to make sure who you were stood back, saluted, and we went, you see and I said to him what would happen if he didn't stop? You know, <laughs> because there's no, nothing, nothing around. He said, "Oh, it shoot me." <laughs> so we we learned a lot from that, from that. You see, uh, yeah. one of these uh, when we were on our C one hundred and thirty course at uh, Marietta, uh, there was an English. Uh, pilot there uh, who was on exchange and uh, we, of course we knew he got the name very well and things like that. And he said, what are you doing on the weekend? And we said, oh, nothing much. And he said, well, I've got to go down to uh, Florida, to do a, a, a training trip, you know, you like to come overnight, why not, you know. So anyhow, we, uh, we went down there and this is the day of the Cuban crisis. And uh, we landed there and uh, there's at this place they had four I think it was b52s loaded with what we called lead-headed nails but they were the big atomic bombs yes and so everything is fairly patient yeah we were stuck inside the seat and we stopped in the on in the, in the runway, and we didn't taxi off. You see, looked out the window there, and here's a a bloke. What was it? It was one of the fighters that they had there. Anyhow, the, uh, I'm just, i just can't remember what the name it was, but they had the old um, used to land and, and, and stopped with a uh, parachute. And they used to go on stop, turn right, got the parachute, and taxi away. You see, and I looked out the window there, and this pilot who got the canopy open up there, there's two guards, one either side, with the rifle, up and this bloke got his hands look like this, and anyhow, eventually it all happened. You know, slowly, it must have been there half an hour on the ground here. Yeah. But, of course, right in front of there is these four (laughs) 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 B-52s. So, anyhow, to cut a long story short, that night we uh, went to the uh, uh, officer's mess to have a meal, Uh, the other, uh, Alan McFadden and myself, and this bloke come in and had nowhere to sit. And we said, oh, let here. I didn't know. He was just a a guy, you know. And uh, we would uh, tell him about this. He always said, that was me. He was a weekend, what we call a weekend warrior. He used to come in and, you know, fly for the weekend and do like it. And what had actually happened, of course, that uh, uh, he'd landed. He'd taxied up. How did it go? And he meant to drop the parachute. (laughs) Turn, Turn, right in the parachute. He'd press the wrong button or whatever it was. And this thing, of course, was... Was stuck in, the, in their own, because <laughs> they had they had uh, I think they had uh, rockets on or something. They, they were fully armed. Didn't just have to go said. Yeah. Yes, and he said oh, I was terrified. I thought you were going to let the So that's the way it was, you know. But they used to have the if you were in the B fifty two crew, you have, they'd lock you in eight o'clock Monday morning, and you'd stay there till the next Monday. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, all these little things. Kiwis, we yeah. Who cares? You know, yeah. what? it's not us. You know. So that, that was uh, uh, little things that they. I felt that in those days they should have briefed you. You know, but because yeah. this was Vietnam, you know, yeah. they they had the capability of training forty crews a month. Uh, there uh, and and things like that, you know, so we went went through and uh, they uh, they trained us was one of them. them, uh, So who
0: was your crew on that very first um, C-130 that you brought back?
1: Uh, There was me, John Gordon. Um, I'm trying to think of them now. I, I've actually got a, 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 a I've got my book with me, The Arrival and things in it, uh, photographs stuff. Uh, I go, I like can't. And uh, let me think, it was John Gordon, Kerry Adams was co pilot. Uh, Trying to think of I can't remember the navigator's name now. That's that's them up here. All right. Yes, this is the this is the crew. Okay. We had to do an acceptance test. Yep. That's the American pilot there. And here's the and these two American pilots. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just uh, we have to put the wine back on. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, this is just the accepted one, so that's Bob Craigie. Um, that's me. Um, he's still alive no, uh, because he's That's the other flight engineer. I uh, know their names of, but yeah. Not to Not worry. But that's their our aeroplanes, the new airplanes. Okay. To pick them up. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: And the the three of them came back together, didn't they? they yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. Together. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. They must
1: have been quite a day. Oh, it was. Uh, the land we landed at the Wellington, of course, and they had a uh, my minister down there and all this sort of thing you know and, yeah. so, uh, and that was me in Cyprus oh, right. get getting married Yep. and that's me over there in, in the church in Cyprus oh, right yeah yeah yep. yes and they've got the other ones up there and oh, yes, yes uh, so, uh, Allie Mcheden was the other the engineer there. But that's only on the acceptable ones. That wasn't the one we the, the blew out and come out with the yeah. Yeah. Well, thank Is you it, very much. That's oh it's brilliant, brilliant stuff. Well you yeah, know the old memory's not as good as that's only bits and pieces. It's uh, you know the, Yeah, but the stories that no one
0: else has recorded no. or, or captured or written down. Yeah. So no. you know it's all history.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. Exactly what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, whether it's any use to you or not. Uh, but I say that some of those things that I've said to you, the, the dates and angles and, you know, yeah, and they like, would have to be backed up
0: yeah,
1: of uh, course. by somebody. Like, Maine, Maine would probably be able to say, you know, the angle of attack for the bombings and all that sort of thing. I was only... A, only a corporal at that time, you know. Of course, it,
0: yes. You know,
1: yes, I was changing engines and trying to fix airplanes. To, yeah. You know, yeah, you know, yep. Now,
0: um, that um, that I totally yes. understand with all that. So, so no, it's fascinating times, uh, not very well recorded in terms of. I, I know that um, Stu Boys wrote a book on Singapore and
1: yeah.
0: Uh, who was the other? Someone wrote the uh, one on Cyprus too, was um, it Engel? Uh, yeah, so... i yeah. trying to remember now. I think I've got that book. Yeah, I've got it at home somewhere uh, too. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's been a while since I've read them. So
1: yeah, yeah. Well, um, you tend to forget, the, you know, that life goes on and... Uh,
0: yeah, and the other thing about both those books is that um, they were rare. I mean, yeah. they were... Um, low run so they're not everywhere, not not everybody's got them and so no. only a few of us have been lucky enough to read
1: them so yeah yeah well uh, I've got one on Sundance, so I think it was All there? right. Uh, but you know nobody's interested you know look at 60s nearly 70 years ago now and uh, yeah I, I think you'll find that people
0: and there are people that are interested but you know Generally, most people who are aviation fans they want jets and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess the the Venoms and that are pretty cool. But, um, you know, that, those stories about the um, DC Six there, nobody ever talks about the
1: DC Six. A quick one before you go. Yep. DC Six. In those days, people used to smoke. Yes, and, and, and of course, some people did not like your smoking and other people didn't know it. But on the DC6, they had a flare dispenser. Now this flare dispenser was besides the navigator. Yep. And was just on the floor and all it was, was a knob. And it had two, it was built like this, the knob was there yep. and when you opened it, the bottom opened, the top shut. Don't forget it was a pressurised aeroplane, you see. Yeah, yeah. So that's what it that sort of was. And nobody it was just there, so. And we had a, a captain used to smoke a pipe. And uh, everyone used to complain about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and anyhow, one day there was flying somewhere over the sea. And this navigator said, for, because the boat! fired up this pipe. Yeah. And this navigator said, for Christ's sake, you know, give me that bloody thing, you see. He did it. It opened this thing, and of course, you look down there, and there's a, a, the, the bottoms there, yeah. put the pipe in, shut the door. Yeah. And the captain said, What the hell are you And it went off, and you know, it really got, got at him. And he, the, <laughs> this navigator said, what, what are you on about? What are you want? So I went down there and <laughs> slid this open to get his pipe, <laughs> <laughs>
0: the
1: And there was just no pipe here. <laughs> and he didn't realise because oh, oh, you know oh, oh. nothing. You know when you opened it, there was the bottom there. And it just looked like a can. Yeah. You see. Yeah. So you used to put a flare in there and then shut it, and then the, the bottom would open and the top would. Stop shut, yep. so it was shut all the time when you looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> but this <laughs> mission points. <laughs> that's what happened on a DC six. <laughs> <laughs> that's <funny>. that's <laughs> so there's Yeah, just have a there's a couple of little ones in there that are only of the other fellas. Most of these are cooked out there. Mm-hmm. These these all are in Cypress all oh, right. That's, uh, the no, that's, boy, the, the, that's the Mary Boys that yeah. were in the, the old Tommy Tamari and all this sort of thing. Yeah. Now, Choo Choo, is it? That's of one. No, he's not there. This bloke, um, Choo Choo, <laughs> was, I think, a Mary, he was a Mary Boy. But he used to be. In Cyprus, he was in the, uh, the uh, petrol uh, dump, yep. you know, and they used to fill up the tankers and all that, that sort that of thing. Yeah. And he had a, a Cypriot like to help him. And the, the Woods were great boys picking up the language. Yes, yeah. you see. I've had when uh, they were in Italy too. Yeah, it? yeah, oh. yeah, and they could, funnily enough, they could pick it up yeah, very good, good, just like that. And uh, of course, he, old Tutu, used to come in. Open the door and go, bida, 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 bida. and I said, What the hell is all that? they said, It's good evening, sir. How are you? That was right. So he used to be good at this. And uh, we used to go to uh, nightclubs there. And the Maori boys, before 10 o'clock, you had to pay to get in. Yep. Now, the squadron, of course, had been there before us. And of course, the Maori used to sing and things like that. One of the bars, they had their own guitar. As soon as the boys walked in there, they'd give them the guitar, and they would sing a song. Right. And anyhow, if you get into this place called the Jean de Clare, where all the girls were and things like that, uh, you couldn't get in before ten o'clock. Yet a party, but the married boys, it was all organised, and they had a back door, and. Uh, They'd knock at the back door and they'd see who it was, and they'd let you in for nothing, right. <laughs> So this time, when with old Choo Choo knocked at the door, opened the door, he walked in there, and there a few Greeks and things like this, and he went, yummy, dummy, up and up, you know, like, how are yes, and all that. And this girl raced out from the back of from the counter and put her hand over it. oh, choo choo, choo, what's wrong with all you're saying, so very naughty. And this this great bloke... The temptation <laughs> of naughty words. Yeah, you say this when you go into... Th- <laughs> oh, that's gold! <laughs> <cool. laughs> yeah. uh, oh, little yeah. things. Little yeah, things. Little things there. There.
0: <laughs> that was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.